so first off, I am very, very sorry I am late. Um, this is kind of the bewitching hour for our children, so I usually don't like to come on Sunday evenings. And so I wrote down on my paper calendar, 6 o'clock, my iPhone calendar, 6 o'clock, and of course it's 5.30. So uh, thank you, Jennifer, for calling me and keeping me honest. So I'm very sorry I didn't mean to uh, keep you all waiting, so I apologize. Um, so I wanted to talk tonight about the uh, Christian husband. And so um, we've been talking a lot recently in our Sunday morning classes uh, about the creation and God's order of things. And uh, Jason's been doing a great job of kind of teasing it out and having each of us kind of think about the structure that God put in place and really the uh, reasons why he may have done so. Um, and this is also a topic that as a husband and father I've been interested in. Uh, and preaching this evening really gave me a good opportunity to dive more into it. Uh, I will admit that when uh, I'm assigned preaching, this being my second time, uh, I try to find topics that kind of I'd like to learn more about, and it seems to be a good way for me to uh, not only learn more about it, but then I'm interested and hopefully it kind of spurs learning and also spurs kind of changes in uh, hopefully my behavior and how I do things. So, uh, so let me start, though, by saying that uh, I continue to have plenty of room for improvement as a husband and father, uh, so please do not take this as uh, me preaching how I am, but more so as what the Bible says that we should be and what we should uh, aspire to be. Uh, like most things, the Bible sets a pretty high bar uh, for excellence in this regard as well as everything else. So I wanted to start tonight by reading the first part of the scripture reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 30. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives to be, to their husbands, ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. So I wanted to start with that because far too often people hear this sort of passage and are turned off by it. Uh, it doesn't fit with today's social norms or the way people perceive the way the world should work. People hear the part about the woman being subject to her husband and are immediately suspicious of Christianity, if not outright hostile. Uh, words like paternalistic, patriarchal, anti-women, misogynistic are even thrown around. And in many cases, these aren't disputed, particularly uh, when you look at kind of what's on TV and everything else. I will say that I'm constantly amazed at kind of the vitriol uh, that's directed toward Christians on a regular basis when it comes to this specific topic. Uh, if you read any comment section in any article about Christians talking about what the Bible says and just the hatefulness that will accompany some of it, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. And I, I guess what I would suggest is what these oversimplifications really ignore, however, is the obligation that's placed on the husband in the marriage. Uh, it is not framed as a privilege to be lorded over the wife or rather a greater degree of responsibility to her. They completely miss the second, and I would argue more important part of the passage, which reads, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. The teaching of the Bible clearly shows that women are to be respected and revered. Unfortunately, many husbands have not gotten the message. Head does not mean male dominance, where man lords it over woman and demands her total obedience to his every wish and command. God never viewed women as second-class citizens. His word clearly states that we are all equally as children are of equal value and worth before him. As Galatians 3.28 tells us, there is either, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Women play a critical role in many events in the Bible. 
Let us not forget that it was women that Jesus first revealed himself to after the resurrection. Again, God has his plan for all of us and structures it in a certain way. Uh, and the key part there is uh, the having the, the help me. From the beginning, women was not created to be used by men and taken for granted, but instead be a helpmate in the true sense of the word. The dictionary defines a helpmate as a helpful companion or partner, not a servant. And the relationship between a husband and wife is meant to be one of love, respect, and support. They are to help each other. Each other. This idea is introduced at the very beginning in the story of the creation. Adam needed a companion, a suitable helper, yet one could not be found until God created Eve. Genesis 2, 20-24 says, But for Adam had no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. When God presented Eve to Adam in the garden, Adam received her as a great gift of great value to God and him. In Colossians 3.19, it instructs husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That sums it up with its simplest terms, but it goes much deeper than that. Being a good husband does not simply mean that you aren't abusive and neglectful. The absence of harsh words or deeds is not the proof of the type of love that the Bible envisions. The type of love and obligation of a husband to his wife is far more substantive than that. How is a Christian husband supposed to behave towards his wife? Men are instructed to be providers for their families. To provide for them materially, emotionally, and spiritually, to be the head of the household. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is a serious charge, one all the more difficult than today's economy. But keep in mind, though, that God's sense of what is necessary is not the same as ours. Matthew 6.31-33 says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. While material provision is certainly important, God is also entrusting the spiritual leadership of the household to the husband as well. The husband also needs to be an example for children. For those that are blessed to have children, there is an additional obligation put on the husband and the wife. You are no longer solely responsible for your own lives and salvation, but also have now assumed responsibility for your children as well. Through their companionship, a husband and wife work together as a team to develop and grow a family. God's plan is that every home operate under the specific roles of both a husband and a wife, and that through this they raise healthy children who honor God with their lives. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment which promise, so that it may go well with you, and may enjoy long life on the earth. A father must also instruct his children in the word, so they are raised to be good Christians. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you don't raise your children with the Bible and use it as the core curriculum and teach them right and wrong, with what authority do you make those judgments? Proverbs 22.6 similarly says, To train up a child in the way that he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The true test of whether or not a father has fulfilled this spiritual leadership role is how his children behave when they are no longer under his roof. As with everything else in the Bible, this is a very tall order. This aspect of raising faithful children is so important that God included it as a critical piece for any man considered for a leadership role in the church. 1 Timothy 3 lays out the qualifications for elders and deacons of the church, a key qualification being that one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For man does not know how to rule his own house, 
how will he take care of the church of God? A key part of the relationship and the obligation of a husband is also sacrifice. In the first quote from Ephesians that I read, it said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. But how did Christ love the church? Did he sit around making demands of the apostles and expecting them to wait on him hand and foot? Was he cross with them, cursed them, and act contrary to them when they displeased him? Absolutely not. Even when they had disappointed him with their lack of faith or understanding, he still loved them. Peter denied Jesus three times. Thomas doubted the resurrection of Christ until he had placed his fingers in the wound. These are not minor disagreements, but fundamental doubts about the true nature of Jesus. Jesus could have turned his back on them for their unbelief and instead found others that would follow him without question. Instead, he looked past these very human faults and loved them regardless. As the Apostle John wrote in one of his letters, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. One of the missing ingredients in male leadership in homes is sacrificial action. When was the last time you gave up something for your wife, something you genuinely valued, like a golf game, fishing trip, something to do with one of your buddies? Sometimes you need to give up something you enjoy so your wife can have a break and see your love for her. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for the church? How did he sacrifice himself for it and provide an example to the rest of us? Mark 16.20 says, Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. So I'm going to apologize in advance for the graphic nature of what I'm about to read, but I think it's necessary to get a true appreciation of the crucifixion, to understand the physical anguish, pain, and suffering that he endured. The reason I'm going to read this, and uh, I'll get into it in a second, is I think far too often we, we talk about the crucifixion, and we kind of, we know it's horrible, and we kind of gloss over it, but we don't really think about it. And to me, in order to truly understand what Jesus went through, you need to understand what actually happened, and to understand what an example that really sets for how you should um, sacrifice yourself, not only for your wife and others, and how you... Uh, perform service, I think it's important to really understand not only the lengths that Jesus went through, but the fact that he knew in advance exactly what was going to happen and still marched forward with it. Uh, so again, I apologize, but someone nailed to a crucifix with their arms stretched out on either side could expect to live for no more than 24 hours. Seven-inch nails would be driven through the wrists so that the bones there could support the body's weight. The nail would sever the nerve, which not only caused immense pain, but would paralyze the victim's hands. The feet were nailed to the upright part of the crucifix so that the knees were bent at around 45 degrees. To speed death, executioners would often break the legs of their victims to give no chance of using thymosis as support. It was probably unnecessary as their strength would have lasted no more than a few minutes even if they were unharmed. Once the legs gave out, the weight would be transferred to the arms, gradually dragging the shoulders from their sockets. The elbows and wrists would follow a few minutes later. By now, the arms would be six or seven inches longer. The victim would have no choice but to bear his weight on his chest. He would immediately have trouble breathing as the weight caused the ribcage to lift up and forced him into an almost perpetual state of inhalation. Suffocation would usually follow, but the relief of death could arrive in other ways. The resultant lacks of oxygen in the blood would cause damage to tissues and blood vessels, allowing fluid to diffuse out into tissues, including lungs and the sac around the heart. This would make the lungs stiffer and make breathing even more difficult, and the pressure on the heart would impair its pumping. Think about the fact that he knew in advance all of this that was going to happen and still did it because he loved the church. If Jesus did all of this because he so loved the church, how do the little sacrifices in our lives compare? 
How much more should we be willing to sacrifice by just following Jesus' example? The passage in Ephesians also talks about nourish and cherish. The husband's responsibility is even greater because he is picturing Christ himself and trying to emulate Christ in the love for the church and the way he's treating his wife and ultimately his children and setting an example. As someone looks at a believing husband, he or she ought to be able to say, he has presented to me a picture of how Christ loves the church. As I watch him with his wife, I am learning how Christ sacrificed himself for the church. As I see him cherish his wife, I am learning about the Lord's tender loving care towards me. Are you presenting this right picture? Am I? 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 is often used at weddings, and appropriately so. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I think it's important to really focus on not only just a love that anyone that's married will say that they have for their spouse, but really to take it to the next level. There are many people out in the world that they fall in love, they get married, but they lose that key part, that key Christian part that keeps couples together. And so you see divorces and people just not willing to work it out and everything else because they're not willing to put in that sacrifice and the time and effort that's really necessary to build a strong marriage and really uh, move forward together. So I would, I would ask that each of you keep that in mind. And I'd like to leave you with a quote that, not from the Bible, uh, but one I think kind of captured, captures the, the essence of the lesson in one single thought. And I used this in my brother's best man speech, so I did copy and paste a little here a little bit. Uh, Women were created from the river of man to be beside him, not from the scent to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. So I'll leave that with you all tonight. Uh, there may be some in this auditorium tonight that need help, need prayers uh, for marriage, children, just your own personal spiritual well-being. Uh, if there's any way that any of us can help you, why don't you let us know and together we stand and we sing. 526.